This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 356. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Thanks for your patience while we were off last week, but we are back. We have a good interview I'm really excited about. We're going to conduct it live on today's episode with the Potter Collector. He has a huge collection, and by huge, I mean over 900 Harry Potter books. And we're going to learn all about that. So lots to get to, including a little bit of news. Admittedly, it's been a bit of a slow news period these past few weeks. We desperately need that trailer, so we have something to talk about. The trailer just needs to surface at some point in these next few weeks, because we're doing our best, but uh, it would help if we got 60 seconds worth of content to talk about. Yeah. But Eric and I were just talking last night about the Department of Mysteries, because that's what we do on a Friday night, and I was saying we could make a whole discussion out of each department on this show, which I think we should do. I think it's a good idea, because you and I had both forgotten that there was a space room where there's yeah, like, like what? anti-gravity thing and stars and the mysteries of the universe that are there, and yeah, we should delve deeper into it for sure but first we have a little bit of a patreon update eric yes uh for slug club members the february giveaway is the raffle is open we're actually this was mentioned on the episode where andrew and micah went to the theme park they got these beautiful mina lima postcard art prints and they're basically there's there's 20 of them 10 different designs and there's beautiful high-res images of them and the submission form uh, will be live on patreon when this episode is up and uh, we'll have the drawing will take place on the 28th and then we will have a march giveaway it's gonna be live like the lotto is every night <laughs> where they select the uh the balls no, I'll just, uh, you know, pick from the submission. So be sure over the next couple days to go over to our Patreon if you're a Slug Club member and submit your name and you get to pick which designs you would like. Excellent. Speaking of Slug Club members, we just had a hangout with a few of them. And Eric, for some reason, had brought up the smell of the UK editions. He said they smell different than the US editions. In a good way. So I did a live sniff test because I have the Deathly Hollows UK and Deathly Hollows US. And he's actually right. The UK one still smells on the inside, like the paper. Yeah. Whereas the US one, it doesn't smell to me anymore. You should have done, though. I, I just thought of this right now. You should have, after Brooklyn brought you both of those copies as the great dog, <laughs> I think you should have given it to Brooklyn. And you should have put Deathly Hallows US edition, Deathly Hallows uk edition and see what brooklyn thought because that's really the sniff test yeah that is the real sn- dog's noses are like a thousand times more powerful or something what i'll do later is i'll put them on the floor and i'll see which one he goes to first there you go he's a marker he likes to pee everywhere not in the house thank god but hopefully he won't pee on one of these that would be terrible that's viral content right there though no, viral, <laughs> viral content. content but it is uh no it's a good smell i think i should clarify i was just talking about how Lovely it was to get the original, like, UK paperback children's editions in a box set. It was the first thing I ever bought off Amazon UK. And, uh, yeah, they, they smell like a different, I don't know, it's a different kind of paper, a different kind of glue. But it's good. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. The smell will be with me forever. And uh, just really quick, speaking of that hangout, one thing that got brought up, I know we were just talking about when is this trailer going to surface I think it was Nolan, right, in our in our hangout just before, who said that there's been a lot of talk about March 19th because that is the date that is listed in that poster for Newt's uh, book release party in the film. So be a good bit of marketing on WB's part to tie those two dates together. And a horrible bit of marketing if they overlook it and don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep us. it positive. Yeah. Oh, Saturday no, I mean, it, it, uh, well, certainly by March 19th, I would expect to have 45 seconds of <laughs> film or, or more promos, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And that theory, that invitation date theory was actually posted in the Slug Club Facebook group. So a lot of benefits for Slug Club patrons. And no matter what level you pledge at, you get a slew of benefits. So check them out if you don't pledge already at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Let's talk about some news. First of all, a little personal news. Eric and I will be at LeakyCon 2018 this summer. It is happening in Dallas, Texas. 
the Leaky Cauldron slash LeakyCon, they've done a great job over the past close to a decade now putting on these Harry Potter conferences. This one's happening August 10th to the 12th, like I said, in Dallas. I feel like there's been a lot more energy regarding these Harry Potter conferences in recent years, thanks to the release of Cursed Child and Fantastic Beasts. And I think we've said it on the show here, too. The fandom is kind of, it feels like it's back. Not that it ever totally went away, but it ramped up again. And they sold out very quickly for LeakyCon, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to get tickets if you don't have them already, I don't think. But we are going to be talking about LeakyCon in the months ahead as we approach the event. It's going to be fun. And Micah wanted to come, but uh, why aren't you coming, Micah? Prior engagements. Prior engagements. Mike is getting engaged. <laughs> we can have a fandom wedding. You're not supposed to spoil it, Eric. Uh, you can't put it out there. No, um, just uh, work-related engagements. Otherwise, I would definitely be there. We've been to Dallas before. Actually, um, I'm blanking right now on the name of the convention. Portis. It's called Portis. Portis, yeah. yeah. Where we actually met Jim Dale and uh, sat down yeah. with him. I think prior to going to Dallas, we spoke with him. Uh, about all the great work that he's done around the audiobooks and it was a great time down there and uh, as as you mentioned anytime uh, Melissa and Leaky Khan put something on it's a great event that all the fans who go are going to enjoy so I know you guys are going to have a lot of fun down there yeah we're going to participate in a few panels talk about various aspects of the fandom and whatnot so it'll be a fun time surely by then we'll have a trailer <laughs> yes yes I I think so and I'm kind of glad you're not coming, Micah, because we would have had three people sharing a hotel room, and that means I'd have to share a bed with one of you, and I prefer to have my own bed. So, this works out well. Little yeah, I mean, I'd prefer just to have my own room, never mind my own bed. <laughs> I think what, what what we did in Orlando was, uh, I'd do that again. Yeah, Universal was like, do you want one room or two for you two? I'm like, uh, we'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> not that I don't mind sharing we're all, a room. We're all adults here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I need my own space. We need we need a separate podcasting room. Well, they were going to give us that too. Come down to yeah. our studio and uh, record. Next time. In some other news, there's another update is coming to the Harry Potter studio tour. Huh, Eric? This is pretty cool. Yeah. So basically, you guys saw when you were down in Orlando, speaking of that, the Goblet of Fire exhibit, you were talking about how they let you keep scraps of paper like that flew out or they showed you how it was done. That display or something quite similar is making its way to the studio tour starting March 30th. They're not only having, I mean, the Goblet of Fire is going into the Great Hall. So if you've been to the studio tour in London or it's technically Watford outside London, you go in and sort of the first part of the tour is the Great Hall. And they're actually going to be placing the Goblet of Fire in the Great Hall. So it's basically like, when you walk in, you're going to be walking into the year four of this, you know, Triwizard Tournament, Full Swing, that sort of thing. And various other areas of the studio tour will have specific things from Goblet of Fire. So I often imagine, you know, when they try and plan these exhibitions there inside the studio tour, they kind of probably go back to the stock room. When we were down in Orlando, we did see this and they mentioned that the Goblet of Fire was going to be featured in the studio tour later on in the year. And this was really the first chance that fans would have to come face to face with it. And it, it was very cool the way that they showed sort of the special effects behind it. There was only one little piece of parchment that popped out of it and some older lady got the benefit of capturing it. But it sounds like, at least from this article, that they're going to do multiple Kind of what they did with the the door when it was spitting out all of those Hogwarts invitations. So you guys have all been to the the studio tour before, right? No, I have. Oh, Micah, Micah you so. haven't? Yes, I, I I think I've committed the greatest Potter sin in existence, and that I've never been to London. Okay, you're a fake. Well, uh- <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been to the UK. I've been to Manchester. That's right. But I've never been to London. I'm actually looking at. Uh, planning a trip for later this year. So maybe I'll do it after March 30th so I can go check all the stuff. So when you go in, that'll just be the start of it'll look like Harry's fourth year in the Triwizard Tournament. And then throughout 
the rest of the tour, there will also be peppered in, you know, additional bits and things. And I often think of when they, when they plan these unique features for the studio tour that they have to go back into like this large stock room and see, well, what do we have that's not already out? Because it is massive. They do have a lot of stuff out and available, but it looks like they found enough really cool stuff to put in so that it can be that after 30th of March, it has the goblet theme. Yeah, I, I like that they're doing these different themes and they're keeping the studio's tour fresh with new reasons to come back. It almost seems like you could get like a studio. You should be able to get a, as almost said, studio pass, a uh, annual pass to the studio tour like Disneyland, because there is so much to see and do there that if I lived an hour or two away, I'd probably want to go a couple of times a year. Yeah, and, and so some of these other things that they're going to have, they're going to have the Prefix uh, bathroom taps from the Prefix bathroom and the, when Harry goes in there in year four, which those looked really cool. I think they're probably particularly well adapted from the, the book description. So going to be that. There's going to be a special demonstration on Voldemort being brought back to life. I don't think they'll actually have human sacrifice or arm sacrifice, but... Oh, I would do that. You, do they want some of my blood to bring back Voldemort? And I would do that. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe it'd be an interactive part of the tour. And um, also, the Bobaton's carriage is going to be in the model room. So, the model room is the end of the tour, just the massive Hogwarts and a company and grounds that they use for close-up shots, like practical shots of the model. And Bobaton's carriage is going to be, I guess it'll be a model of Bobaton's carriage on the grounds as well. So it'll be decorated as if the uh, students from Bobaton are visiting Hogwarts. That's cool. Yeah. I want to do this just so I can go up to the goblet and reenact Dumbledore's Did you put your name in the goblet of <laughs> moment. That they that should be part of the exhibit. Like that should be part of the attraction where you get to reenact that for your Instagram. I'd actually prefer that they just present the thirty-five millimeter film print of that on the finished version on the master copy so that I can take it and cut it out and splice it and throw it into the fire. Or you get to fix what Mike Newell screwed up so badly. You can do a calm, Harry, did you put your name into the goblet of fire? Oh, you can reshoot it, make yes. it right. I like your idea, though, Andrew. I, I think, though, you should get to be Harry, and they should just hire Michael Gambon to come to the studio <laughs> tour. To you put tone. your name in the goblet of fire all day? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? <laughs> did you ask another student to do it for you? One other little news story today, Cursed Child in Broadway, on Broadway, is coming up real quick, and the New York Times has an extensive new feature on its New York opening. I saw that this morning. They actually, oh, in, in the actual paper? Yeah. They sat down with J.K. Rowling and the producers, and there wasn't much news in it. It, was, it still was a good read, though. But there was this one part I thought was very strange. So the interviewer asked Sonia Freeman, she's one of the producers, if parents have a hard time with being dragged to a show that's two parts and five hours long. The idea being that a lot of Harry Potter fans are still kiddies. And she said no, because the majority of the fan base is now between the ages of 25 and 35. And the fans like it so much that they quote would like a part three. <laughs> crickets. Crickets. And I had to write that up on Hypoblog because that's... Was she? I don't think she was kidding. It didn't seem like in the context of this, she seems to believe that people like it so much that they actually want more. Now, look, we've been critical of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, but it is a good play. I think it moves at a good pace, but I don't want more. You don't, no one needs more than five hours of this. And where would you even go after part two? Like, there's, there's. <laughs> no, Cursed Child is longer than the Very Potter musical shows, and those were overlong and, you know, complicated. And so I think two parts is enough. Like, they, maybe they could have done more in two parts, even, but I think two parts is enough for Cursed Child. It's a beautiful feature in the New York Times, by the way. There's some gorgeous new photographs of the cast. And of J.K. Rowling, Jack Thorne, John Tiffany, the creative team. And I thought it was nice that they sat down for a new interview. But Sonia might be hinting at something that they're planning to do. There's a third part of The Cursed Child. Maybe that explores uh, what Delphi was doing before 
or to like recruit the giants. I just think that she probably meant that there's always that desire for more. I don't know if it's specific to the cursed child and people want that story to continue, but perhaps she just meant that people always want more from, from this world. Like it's totally not any, not even an issue. That could be. Yeah. I think maybe the implication was that people are happy with it. So they, they're just happy with it. But it it. is a big commitment. I think just saying that the fans that grew up with the series are between the ages of 25 and 35. That's true. But you also have a lot of younger fans now of this series that are getting into it or, or have been into it. And, you know, they're younger. They could be preteen. They could be teenagers. And it's a big commitment to ask people not only to lay out the money to go and see this, but to give five hours of their time to have that. And that's assuming that you're seeing it in the same day. A lot of people, just because of ticket availability, have to see it on different days. And that that's a lot, in my opinion. Yeah. It is a lot, but I think she did have right that the majority of fans now are in that millennial age, 25 to 35. And by the way, we did learn that more than 5 million copies of The Cursed Child have been sold in North America. So I'm not sure we had a sales number like that, or at least not an updated one. But I think a lot of that is due to the fact that it was marketed as the next Harry Potter. Yes, but that's still not nearly a sales number that can compare to one of the original seven books. So in part because it wasn't written by JK Rowling, I think even though her name is tied to it, you know that she isn't the one that sat down and wrote it, even though she did approve it. So I think the numbers are obviously solid for something that is being released years after and and is really a script at the end of the day. It's not your traditional story. Anyway, it's coming up soon. MuggleCast is sponsored this week by NBC's Rise. On March 13th, the lives of seven kids are about to change. From the network that brings you This Is Us comes the next great drama, Rise. From the producer of the acclaimed Broadway musical Hamilton and the producer of Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, it's an amazing new drama inspired by a true story. When a dedicated teacher takes over a high school's failing theater department, he'll change the lives of seven kids and transform a town. The critics rave that Rise promises gut-wrenching emotion and human drama and glee-style musical euphoria. Entertainment Tonight says, We haven't been this instantly smitten with a drama since we watched This Is Us. Rise stars Josh Radner, Rosie Perez, and the voice of Moana, Ali'i Cravalho. USA Today raves, Ali'i Cravalho steals the spotlight. You'll see why Variety calls Rise a hit in the making. Don't miss the premiere of Rise after the season finale of America's number one drama, This Is Us, Tuesday, March 13th on NBC. And then just one update on the Bright Cellars front. I know uh, we have been off the last two weeks, but I did receive the wine that I ordered from them and uh, had a chance to do a little tasting and uh, have to say, I'm pretty impressed. I mentioned that as part of this process, you take a very easy seven question quiz. And what happens is they take your preferences and they match them with certain wines and uh, haven't exactly gotten through all four bottles that they sent me yet, but have opened. Uh, <laughs> what are you waiting for, Micah? <laughs> well, you know, uh, take take it slow. Take it slow. Uh, I did uh, open up one of them and uh, it was really great. So I encourage uh, those listeners who uh, are interested in wine and enjoy uh, you know, opening up a bottle now and then to head over to brightsellers.com slash mugglecast. And uh, as mentioned on previous episodes, we have charmed 50% off the first month for listeners of the show. So I don't think you can get a better deal than that. All right. We are joined now by the Potter Collector. Peter, welcome to the show. You've actually been a MuggleCast listener, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And and you were down at Harry Potter Celebration. Yeah. Just this past year, it was my first year. It was, oh, cool. It was a blast. It was, it was so fun to, to see all the costumes and to meet different people and yeah it was it was really fun yeah so the reason we wanted to have you on the show is we recently learned about your collection and you've kind of made a sort of brand for yourself online as the potter collector yeah Uh, we want to hear about your collection but first when did you become a harry potter fan i became a harry potter fan in 1999 it's actually i actually credit my grandma and my younger brothers michael and thomas for it 
So my grandma, here's the story. My grandma gifted us a copy of Sorcerer's Stone, you know, to, to help grow and encourage us to read. And um, I struggled through the first chapter. I wasn't a good reader at the time and it was overwhelmed by such a big book. So I didn't really make it past the first chapter. So fast forward a few months, my brothers had read book one and then Chamber of Secrets and then Prisoner of Azkaban. So the competitive older brother in me, you know, wanted to catch up. So I picked up Sorcerer's Stone again, read through chapter one, then two, three, you know, and like every Harry Potter fan, I, I couldn't put, I couldn't put the book down. So that kind of sealed the deal for me. <laughs> so this is a big question. What is your Harry Potter collection like today? What are your totals? Like how many books do you have? So I have, I think I'm about 20 or 15, 15 or 20 books away from the thousand bookmark. Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> which is crazy. So very exciting for me. I mean, crazy for other people, but exciting for me. <laughs> and just the other day, you completed your Sorcerer's Stone collection? Yes, or? I did. No, no, I, I collected, I completed... Um, translations. Translations. I'm, I am done. I have every single published Harry Potter translation. What? And how many is that? It's about 600 books. Wow. So, so the other, you know, 400 are, you know, rare books, signed books, different editions of translations. Obviously, there are a ton of editions of the English, tran- uh, no, it's not the translation, but the English edition. So, yeah, it's crazy. That was a huge milestone. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you have the Scots version, right? Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not just the, the most fun to read aloud? It is actually really fun to read aloud. <laughs> and you also... I love your YouTube channel because it has videos of you unboxing all these videos and like you're freaking out, including <laughs> yesterday, which was the final translation. Okay, so I'm a fairly reserved person with emotions, like in public. So I was not expecting to freak out as much as I did. That's how I freak out in like the car. And I was a little hesitant to, to share that, but I'm like, you know what? I'm seriously excited about this. This is this is a massive, massive milestone in my collection. So I have to share it. So how did you start collecting? I started collecting in terms of translations. I purchased the Italian translation of Philosopher's Stone because I'm Italian. So in 2003 or 2004 is when I purchased the Italian edition because it had a different cover art. And then knowing that other countries had different illustrations and the different scripts and the different languages, it got me excited to collect them. So the natural born collector in me, you know, I had to just try to collect all of them. (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to ask you, you just mentioned the covers. Is there anyone in particular or maybe a a set of the translated editions that you have that you really enjoy the covers of that stand out? Yeah, I love the second edition Catalan covers. So from Spain, and they're unique in that they're very... They look like a, a child. Some of the, the translation covers look like children drew them, but this one specifically looks like a child drew them. And there's just something magical about that and magical about the colors and oh my the illustrations. It's just, it's so, so beautiful. I actually contacted the, the illustrator to see if he still had them, but he had sold them, but, but sent me high resolution photos of, oh, that's nice. of, of the illustrations, which this is, I'm seeing this, is it, uh, Ila Pedra philosophical? Yeah. So are you looking at the one with the train is the, blue. The express? Yeah. 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 And then there's chambers. The chamber of secrets one is my favorite. It's beautiful. So when did you start collecting? Cause you said the Italian editions were the first, what year was that? So the Italian edition. So in terms of translations, I started in about 2003 or 2004. But I started collecting Harry Potter books in 2001. Okay. Was there a point of no return? Was there one point where you were like, well, I need to complete every, I need every single book now. There's just no way I'm not going to get every single book. So I, I had to kind of, I had to limit myself to Philosopher's Stone when I started the translation. So when I, I picked up the Italian edition, I, I said, I'm only going to collect Philosopher's Stone. At the time, it was my favorite book. And when I completed that collection two years ago... I swore to myself that I wouldn't, I said this in my video, that that I wouldn't collect two through seven. <laughs> and then a few months later, I'm like, you know what, I'm going for it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So the home that you live in, it's in Illinois. It is, yeah. Do you live there by yourself? No, I have a roommate. 
Okay. Yeah. What does your roommate think of this? And like, does this take up one entire bedroom or? It was a guest room. It's now a Harry Potter library. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, no, no, he's very cool about it. He, He thinks it's fun. His favorite are the, the Braille books. Ooh. Okay. Which are super cool. You recently released a video of yourself receiving a signed copy of Beetle the Bard. Why was that one so important to you? Because you were freaking out over it. Yeah, it, that was like a, a, a very serious freak out. <laughs> it was weird. It was like... You were very moved. I was, as a, as yeah, opposed I was to you just run-of-the-mill freakouts. Like somber almost. Like, it was just crazy. It was scary at times too. You know, just opening it up. Anyway, one of the things about me, and here I go. I'm, I'm going to talk about how I ramble on and, and change subjects. But, and here I am rambling on and changing the subject to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, so Joe illustrated seven Beetle the Bard books uh, after Deathly Hallows was was released. And she gave these these handwritten and hand-illustrated copies to six of the people who were closest to her. That's right. In the Harry Potter journey. Yeah. So Arthur Levine had one, uh, has one. Barry Cunningham had one, but he recently sold it. And then the seventh one was auctioned off at Sotheby's to benefit uh, Joe's charity, Children's High Level Group. And Amazon bought it for four million bucks, which is crazy. It's amazing. And then a year later, you know, they announced that they would be releasing a replica as well as the first 100 people to pre-order the book would receive a signed and numbered copy. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I was there with thousands of other people, I'm sure, on the pre-order day and was not quick enough to be one of the first 100. So, there's a lot of disappointment there. You know, you you work yourself up to to think that, oh, you're going to win, you're going to win. But it was a sobering (laughs) moment. So, there was a lot of disappointment, but I told myself that, you know, one day I I will find one. And it, it took 10 years of you know watching for one to become available but i fulfilled the promise so so that moment was kind of fulfilling the promise to me and just i mean as well as the fact that this book is it's one of 100 signed copies they need to get you one of those original seven i mean you know what if i had the money for it i would have purchased barry cunningham's (laughs) yeah yeah you said he just sold it who who the hell would if if seven exists and jk rowling deemed you worthy yeah and she hand wrote them, didn't she? Hand wrote, hand illustrated, hand bound. He did get permission to sell it, but still. Ooh. You know, but still, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. how where did you find one of these one hundred copies? Can you share your it secrets? It showed up on eBay. eBay, okay. Yeah. And is that where you find most of your books then? Most of my books are are from eBay or Abe Books or Amazon even through their uh, marketplace sellers. But a lot of the translations had to come directly from the countries that the language was from. So I had to source source that way. He's a publisher. He worked for Penguin and Bloomsbury. Yeah, yeah. Barry Cunningham. Yeah, he's, he's the one who, who set Harry Potter on, on its track. So When you've traveled, have you ever picked up books or has it strictly been ordering online? Strictly online um, or talking to people. I've, I've never been out of the country, so... Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you could count Canada, but just over the border, you know, to see Niagara Falls. Do you have any precautions in place to protect your collection? Like, I'm curious, like, <laughs> is there a security system or <laughs> what's going on at your place? Well, so so I don't know if you, you, you noticed that, but I, I went to the post office to pick up Beetle the Bard. Yes. I wanted to ask about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so there's, there's two reasons for that. One is when I started the Potter Collector, I, I opened up a P.O. box. Um, just to smart to not have to give out my home address to people, and but then the other reason for that is I'm a little impatient when it comes to you know receiving my books, as most people are. <laughs> so instead of you know having to wait until two or three p.m. for the mailman to come, I can just go first thing and and pick it up yeah. from the PO box. But yeah, so other precautions: uh, the the collection is fully insured against anything and everything known to man. <laughs> Even fiend fire? That's me. I'm trying to think. Mm, I, think it, I think it would. I think it would. <laughs> so, like, if if my house burned down, for example, it's covered. Uh, some some pieces are not replaceable or would be very difficult to right. replace, but but at least you know, I can. It helps me sleep at night. What's one of the coolest things you have in your collection? One of the coolest books, maybe most rare. Like my favorite, my favorite piece or pieces are the British uncorrected proofs. They only released one through three because, you know, after Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry Potter was so popular, they needed needed to protect the stories. 
But the, just the fact that they're extremely rare makes my insides jump up and down as a collector. But the history that comes with them just, it blows my mind. It's, it's like, this was the first time that these books were printed in book form. There's just something magical about that. And those uncorrected, explain to people who don't know what those uncorrected proofs would be for. Yeah, so uncorrected proofs are sent out to publishers or journalists to read before the book is released about three or six, to, backwards, three to six months before a book is released. They are sent out in a limited quantity, and um, it's meant to help you know promote the book. I'm interested to know too, with all these different editions that have been released now over the course of the last couple of years. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, as a collector, I'm sure you're can't wait to get your hands on them. But as we see, like 20th anniversary edition, illustrated edition, do you feel like there's a point where there's too much, or are you say, hey, just keep printing these because I'm going to keep collecting them? <laughs> I think I'm the wrong person to ask. My question was, will you keep yeah. collecting them? <laughs> it's a you question. It's There's no pressure. <laughs> I say, keep them coming. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm sure other people, you know, have a limit as to what's... But I'm kind of the, the far extreme. How many books do you have that are signed by J.K. Rowling? I have probably 10 or 12 books. Wow. That's so cool. A lot of fans know her signature has evolved over time. Her 1997 signature, is she started with a J period, K period, and then spelled out, for the most part, spelled out rolling. So that's, and then as Harry Potter became more popular, you know, she had to be able to sign more books faster. Um, so she had to, you know, evolve her signature. So I have, I have various signatures that kind of show that evolution. Oh God, that's cool. Which is, yeah, it is, is cool. It is super cool to see, you know, how how it's changed over the time, over over time. And um, on my website, I actually have a uh, a signature timeline posted, so you can go check that out and see how how it's it's changed. Is that the pottercollector.com? The pottercollector.com, Yeah. The uh, now, have you collected any um, casual vacancy or Cormoran strike books at all? I have not. Okay. How about Fantastic Beast stuff? Are you starting to collect all that? No, I have a few. I have a few books, but I'm I'm not planning to. I say that this now. I'm not, I'm not planning to <laughs> to collect to collect yeah. any of the any of the uh, Fantastic Beast books. And is it just books, or have you expanded to the films at all? Just books or book related things. So, for example, I, I collect artwork by the original illustrators. So Thomas Taylor and Giles Greenfield and Cliff Wrighton. I have something from Mary Grand Prey. Some of the translation illustrators and then anything not really anything i don't really collect the thought is to start collecting anything pre-movie that's harry potter related so like the pre-movie statues you know before there were any actor likenesses and you know that sort of thing and you met the new illustrator at harry potter celebration didn't you yeah that was kind of a, a random meeting i had seen scholastic going around filming this this guy and i didn't know who he was, or actually I didn't even know it was Scholastic. And they approached me and, and said, hey, because I was dressed up in my, my Slytherin robes. Hey, would you mind being on film and answering a couple questions? We're doing a, a promo for the 20th um, anniversary edition. I'm like, sure. And they asked me what Harry Potter means to me and when I started, when I became a Harry Potter fan. And started to talk to them and tell, told them about my collection a little bit. And then um, I mentioned that I collected illustrator artwork, and the woman there with him was said, "Hey, this is um, this is the the new illustrator for the 20th anniversary edition." It was kind of a a random meeting, which was pretty cool. You live in Illinois. You invited Eric and I, which is very nice to come and see your collection, which I would absolutely love to do. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, good luck getting us out of your place once we. Got I, yeah, I don't think I would ever leave. Hey, you know what? You don't have to. <laughs> Just hang <laughs> oh, out. Great. We can we can talk for hours. <laughs> Do you let people open your books and stuff? Like, yeah, rare books. Obviously, I'm I'm a lot more cautious. Don't open, don't open my proofs. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, no touchy. But the translations, no. When I I bring my books to libraries, and um, I was at Barnes and Noble last year for their Harry Potter event, and I, I brought all of the Philosopher's Stone translations and had them out on a table, and of, I of course had you know someone at every corner, you know, yeah. watching, <laughs> but yeah, I allow people to pick them up and, and look through them. And it, it's, it's fun to see the excitement on their faces. And especially when they see, Oh, this, this is my heritage or, you know, this is the second language I know. And they're flipping through it. And 
Yeah, so so I, I do let people touch. I'll have to bring over a couple of mine to show you. Oh, yeah. I have one signature from J.K. Rowling. Which I've seen, which is amazing and I'm very jealous of. <laughs> I mean, to have a book signed in Joe's house is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You can't have it, Peter. Uh, well, if you give me a lot of money, maybe, but... <laughs> <laughs> let's do a deal on the side everybody yeah 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 yeah. that's that's perfect what about you guys do you do you guys have any favorite editions or like translation cover art i love the swedish covers which i've seen on your instagram before but i'd seen one or two of them when we do like book discussions and stuff and particularly swedish half-blood prince where they're sort of they're going on the lake so many of the covers are in that cave scene but the crossing the lake of the dead kind of angle with the weird looking boat and sort of Dumbledore's resoluteness on his face. Really, really cool kind of book cover, I think. Yeah, it is a beautiful cover. I'm actually holding it right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is that, was was that luck that, that I singled it out? Or well, did you it, just... was, it was in reachable distance. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. For me, I, I mentioned on the last podcast, I have I don't know if it's a complete set of all of them, but I do have books that have been translated into Spanish, French, Italian, and German. And um, I haven't spent a whole lot of time, honestly, looking at the covers. There was a period of time where my brother was in Italy and he had brought back a couple of different books from that translated set. And that just kind of got me started. And I said, well, you know what? If, if I have two books, I need to complete the set. And that kind of just spurred me on a little bit. Obviously, didn't take it as far as, as you did and, and don't have as many books. But it is, to me, just very cool looking at the different interpretations for the covers and, and seeing just you know, what that particular illustrator had in mind, what stood out to them. Yeah. No, it is, it is very, very cool. You know what? If I, had, if I was going to buy another set of seven books, I think I would go – with the Andrew Davidson 2015 Woodburned look. I remember I was in Waterstone. The last time I was in London was 2015, which is when I went to the studio tour. And at Waterstones, there were these crazy, like the spines are so colorful. They're just absolutely like the brightest, bright pastel, blue, yellow, orange. But the font, the way that they lay it out on the, on the cover is so striking. Like, I don't know something about it. And these images, which I'm looking at for the first time in years, and I, I don't know if I really picked up all seven books to look at, but the illustrations are just insane. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful set, and and like you said, it's it's strikingly colorful and well well designed. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful set. How does your collection stack up to others' collections? Are you aware of others similar to yours? Yeah, there are actually a lot of translation collectors. As far as I'm aware, this is the largest book collection that I know of. So, so what's what's interesting is is for most collectors, they either collect rare books or they collect translations, or they may may ha- they may have a signed book with their translation collection or something. But there aren't many of us who who really go for both. So, for translations, for example, um, I know a collector in Poland who is is very close to having every translation. As far as like quantity of books, um, I know collectors who have four to five hundred books in their collection, six hundred books in their collections. But Carolina in in Poland is probably the closest to my book count in terms of collection. I think you should open up a little museum. You know what? That is my ultimate dream. Really? It is my ultimate dream to share these books with collectors all over the world. Yeah, because I think people would absolutely adore doing that. Just, no, I, just in, browsing. In a, in a heartbeat, I would send these books to some exhibit. Oh, well, I'm saying open up your own place. Well, I mean, yeah, I could do that. But to start at least, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I'm just exhibit. thinking of like we've spoken multiple times about Mina Lima's exhibit in uh, just around the corner from Cursed Child in London. And it's so nice to just walk around and see all the artwork. But I think this one would be just as interesting, if not more so, because you're seeing all the legitimate Harry Potter cover art from all over the world, plus these rare editions you have and versions like, oh, my God. That's something I would lose my mind over if, if something <laughs> like that, you know, had happened, because that's 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 my ultimate dream is to have these books seen by as many people as, as possible. Is there something you're like insanely after still? There is one thing that I'm insanely after still, and that is um, Philosopher's Stone Uncorrected Proof Trial Jacket. They released a few copies of the proof with just to kind of test out how the, the covers would look, 
And there are very few of these in the world. And that would make me lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've got the proof. I just need the jacket. <laughs> so what do you mean proof? Like what is it the cover? Is it? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a mock-up of how the cover might look. And it's insanely rare. I don't know if I'll ever get the jacket separate from the proof. So I may never have it, but I, I guess I should. Like I should be positive, you know. Positive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've co- you've come this far. I really don't think uh, a little book's going to get in your way, dude. <laughs> Have you seen any available? And it's just yeah, too, you were too late uh, out of your price range. Kill me. <laughs> so there was one um, auctioned off at Bonhams in London, and I was the second bidder. I couldn't go any higher, oh. and uh, it sold to a, a bookstore who jacked up the price and but yeah so so i missed out on that one um but i'm 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 constantly looking and hopefully one day one day i'll find it what kind of tips do you have for people who are maybe they come across an alleged signed book are there certain tips that you give people yeah so the biggest tip that i have is to just ask someone who knows like myself about forgeries there's so many forgeries out there, bad ones, and some really convincing forgeries. So, and especially with someone with little or no no experience, they can't tell the difference. So helping to authenticate Joe's signatures is an area that I'm extremely passionate about. It comes to helping people, you know, authenticate those. I actually don't give detailed advice anymore as to why something is counterfeit because I ran into a few forgers who contacted me sending me pictures saying, Hey, is this authentic and giving detailed description? Oh, this, the O because it goes like this and the J, you know, is swoops down to, you know, whatever it was. So you were essentially helping them make theirs more legit. Yeah. So these books showed up on, I was able to connect their name to their eBay name. And then suddenly they're posting better forgeries. That wasn't a very good, uh, wasn't a very good Did you have to like report them? Was there like lease action? No, there's really not much you can do with eBay. eBay doesn't necessarily care. You can report them on eBay. Well, I remember a couple of years back, Rowling was calling out eBay for not having strong enough practices. Yeah, no, it's it's that's very true. More recently, though, at least at the events that I was able to go to that she signed books at, I feel like they did put holograms on the books as well. I don't. I'm assuming that's one of the ways to ensure that it's actually legit. Assuming that a forger can't get his or her hands on hologram or print a hologram similar to what has been used in the past. Yeah, exactly. So so she started that at, at her Deathly Hollow signings in London at the midnight signing. That hologram has the date 210707. So uh, when the book was, when Deathly Hollows was released. And then she changed it to a larger hologram that includes JK Rowling on it, printed on it. So those are the only two J.K. Rowling holograms. You'll see some some forged books with like a hologram on it. The only authentic holograms are those two. So if you see something with, with anything else, there's a good chance that it's fake. Or it, it could be an authentication company hologram seal that you know they looked at it. But for the most part, they are, are counterfeit if they don't have those two holograms. So to start wrapping this up, I want to plug all your stuff. Everybody out there should follow you on Instagram and YouTube. Can you plug your channels for us? Yeah, for sure. So my website is um, thepottercollector.com. It needs some serious updating. So bear with me as as I find time to do that. But Instagram, I am at the Potter Collector. And I actually just recently started a new Instagram account called at the Potter Collector Deals, where as I find good Harry Potter book deals in my searches. I'll post those there. So if, if you want to follow that, you know, that's that's kind of a resource of finding. That's really great, dude. Good deals yeah, that's on a Harry great Potter idea. books. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Twitter, I don't usually, I don't use very often, but it's at Potter Collector because that was too long. Facebook at the Harry Potter Collector. Uh, YouTube, I am uh, the Harry Potter Collector. What I love about what you're doing is that you're not only assembling this amazing collection but you're also helping people so oh you're a gold star fan way to go (laughs) thanks yeah i mean (laughs) i started the potter collector to help educate collectors young old new and experienced so if you have questions feel free to to contact me don't be afraid i'm I'm happy to talk and 
one other thing I want to mention is um, I'm starting a Harry Potter collection day with some fellow Harry Potter collectors on Instagram. So who's involved? All the pretty books, uh, The Great Who Lived, Weasley's Books, Quick Spell Co., The Harry Potter Collection, Xavier, Boldu. So anyway, it's it's March March 5th, and uh, we're encouraging people to, anyone who collects anything Harry Potter related, to post some some photos and descriptions of their collection with the hashtag Harry Potter Collector Day. So we thought it'd be a fun opportunity to, you know, for people to experience other collections from around the world and meet new people, encourage each other. So so March 5th, post photos and of your collection and uh, use uh, the hashtag Harry Potter Collector Day. Peter, thank you so much for joining. This is so interesting. I can't wait to come and see your collection. I know. Yeah, I'm blown away. blown away. Yeah, yeah we, we, we are going to. Uh, Eric and I will take a little day trip out to where you are. Yeah, and Micah, um, if you're ever in town, come on, come on over. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say they can FaceTime me in, but... Uh, yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, my hands are going to be busy browsing all the books. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the FaceTiming for you. I'll, I'll hold the camera. What a guy. No, but what a but guy. your Instagram is also great to just get a good collection or good view of the collection. And then, of course, on YouTube. You're good at the at creating videos, so... Thank you. Thank you very much. It's it's fun to do. Thank you guys so much. This was This was fun. Thank you, Peter, again. We really appreciate it. Yeah, have a good rest of your conversation. You too. Bye. All right, bye. Well, and by you too, I mean your day, but oh, yeah, you get you my too. drift. All right. <laughs> all right, bye. Bye. <laughs> all right, that was a great interview. I could speak to Peter all day. He seems like a really cool guy. Yeah, we got to head over there after this. I am so into that. Maybe not after this. I have some plans, but no, definitely. Def- I just admire him so much. And I just love that he's helping fans too. Like, it's so cool. It's funny because when I think about the very small collection that I have, and, <laughs> and, and, no, it's, you think you just kind of give up after a while and you're like, ah, oh, well, I need Deathly Hallows in German and it's whatever the cost is, or you can't really come across it right now on Amazon or other places. And yeah, you know, you just kind of like, yeah, you know what, uh, uh, I, what I have is fine. I don't need to go, but to thousands of books, it's just, wow, that's super impressive that he has literally all the translated editions from around the world. It's pretty mind blowing. Here's what I think we should do. We should create a museum for him that we also use as our own studio and we can further expand it with theme park rides. We can create a whole Harry Potter resort here in Illinois. I'm for it. I can finally build my Dumbledore Falling Tower of Terror attraction. We'll just have to call it something else. Door Dumble <laughs> Astronomy Tower <laughs> of Terror. Yeah, well, well, and we can do live video podcasts with his collection in the background. And Peter can be there uh, in the background, yeah, like dusting we'll, off his books and reorganizing them. One thing I didn't mention is if you watch his videos, when he adds a new book to his collection or series, he may be done now since he has every translation, but um, he keeps them all alphabetized. So when he adds only a few books, he has to rearrange everything after that letter in the alphabet to make them all fit. So he spends like an hour doing that every time he adds several new books. And he did a video of himself rearranging recently. It's uh, pretty fascinating to watch. He should uh, time lapse it. He did. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to send you some links. Anyway, uh, to wrap up today's show, we got some emails and some voicemails. Here is our first voicemail. Hey, MuggleCast. It's Jenny from Dallas again. On my reread, I was scanning through and there's something about scabbers in the first book. That was curious to me. Uh, While well, it's in Chapter 6 on the journey to Hogwarts, Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle come into Ron and Harry's uh, compartment, and Scabbers defends Ron and Harry by biting at a crab of Goyle. And I don't know if that was ever explained, why he was protecting Ron and Harry, but let's know your thoughts on it. Thanks so much. Bye. So I think what we the answer we want to come up with is that it's unresolved tension between Pettigrew the Death Eater and Goyle the Death Eater, like Goyle's dad, right? So like to get back at him, he like or so you know some old score that's being settled. I don't know. It's such a good moment that ingratiates the trio, or at least Ron and Harry, to Scabbers. I think occasionally you've got to be a good pet or 
you're so useless most of the time that Ron basically holds on to this moment for years now to like keep scabbers. It's like once that happens, it's like, oh man, that's real cool. Yeah, he has to be somewhat convincing as a friend of Ron's. Yeah, yeah. Not to, not just, you know, always be in the corner in the shadows. So of. I'll get the Goyle family back and I'll act like I care about him. Win-win. Exactly. All right, next voicemail here. Hey, MuggleCast. Chris in North Dakota here. I was wondering if uh, you guys had any favorite movies that the trio from the original series have done. Dan, Rupert, and Emma. Dan's been in The Woman in Black. Rupert's done CBGB and Wild Target. Emma's had a big hit with Beauty and the Beast and my personal favorite, Colonia. I was wondering if you guys had any favorites that you've seen or are looking forward to seeing. All right, thanks. Bye. I think Eric is best suited to answer this question. You have a poster of driving lessons you mentioned a few weeks ago. <laughs> I do have a poster of driving lessons. Driving lessons is really good, and it stars Rupert Grint and Julie Walters and Laura Linney. I like that one a lot, actually. And that, but it was made during like the Potter series, which is kind of cool. It's kind of, you know in between. Same with I think Wild Target or. There was another movie, Cherry Bomb, I think it was, with Rupert, which screened at Azcatraz during. But since Harry Potter has ended, I will admit I have not seen the Beauty and the Beast live action yet. What? I haven't. I've been holding off, to be honest, but I will absolutely go and see it. But yeah, Emma was in uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower and a number of other films. I particularly, my favorite Emma film that I've seen is not the bling ring, but a film called Ballet Shoes, which she was in. She uh, Emma plays, I think, one of three sisters who are at a boarding school, maybe, for dance. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but that would be my Emma recommendation. And honestly, Dan Radcliffe has, has just swept. Every movie he's in, I like. Kill Your Darlings, The Woman in Black was mentioned. Also, Horns is going to be the one that I recommend. Have you guys both seen Horns, either of you? I'm not into horror, so I haven't watched Women in Black, but that was one of Dan Radcliffe's first post-Potter movies, I believe. So I think that one got a lot of attention for that reason. Which one? Women in Black. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dan's done, Dan is just swept. Dan is just really done. There's Kill Your Darlings. He's done everything. Yeah, I mean, he he's pretty much done everything at this point. My two favorite Dan Radcliffe movies are Horns, which was adapted from a book by Joe King, Stephen King's son, and the movie called, I guess, um, The F Word, it was previously called, or What oh, If is yeah. the... Yeah, that's... It's a rom-com. Yeah, it's a rom-com. It's really good. Uh, Zoe Catan... Kazan? Zoe? Anyway, and Dan Radcliffe are really good in it. And locally, it's called What If, and then overseas, the title is The F Word. Nolan, who's listening live on Patreon, he also reminds us about Swiss Army Man. That's one of Dan Radcliffe's more recent movies. You know what? Thank you, Nolan. Have you seen that one? Yes. It's actually amazing. I I went in with such hesitation, and it was just really, really, it's such a unique movie. Paul Dano does it. Fantastic job, and Dan Radcliffe plays a corpse the entire movie, but it's one of his best acting jobs of all time. And I think that's what's admirable about Dan Radcliffe's post-Potter career is that he has just done all these various films that you wouldn't have expected him to do. Rupert Grint, by the way, he had that American television pilot called Super Clyde with Stephen Fry. It never got picked up to series, no, unfortunately. It was this TV series where Rupert Grint came into a lot of money somehow. He starts off as a fast food worker and he inherits money or something like that. And then his superpower is using his wealth for good. And plus Stephen Fry is in it. So it was just an amazing casting between the two of them. And yeah, they didn't pick it up. Too bad. But the pilot did air somewhere. I think it was on CBS's website. All right. Next voicemail here. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Jacob calling from Pennsylvania. I'm a huge fan of the show. It was the first podcast I ever listened to back in, like, 2010. And now I listen to podcasts all the time. So I really thank you for introducing me to the great world of podcasts. I was calling to ask about the theme park. I had gone back in October 2014, right after Diagon Alley had expanded, and we stayed at the Cavana Bay Beach Resort Hotel on site. 
And I was just calling to see what your guys' preferences is for your arrangements when you go there. I'm actually going back in May with me and my fiance. Um, she's never been. We're staying again at the Cabana Bay Resort Hotel. We got a great Harry Potter package, which includes breakfast at the Three Broomsticks and Linky Cauldron. So just wanted to know where you guys usually stay, if you prefer to stay on site or off site when you go to Universal. Love the show. Can't wait to hear back. Thank you. On site for sure, for the reason that you mentioned, you get benefits like breakfast at the Harry Potter restaurants included. You also can get into the parks early by an hour, which is nice. Yep, and I, I think they probably still do the things where at certain resorts the room key is a fast pass as well. Yes. Yeah, for those reasons and just in general, the level of detail and theming at each of the Orlando properties, which I believe are Pacific, uh, Royal Pacific, the Portofino Bay, Cabana Bay, Sapphire Falls are the four big, and I think a fifth one might even be open. Hard Rock is well, part Hard of Rock Universal. Well, Hard Rock is, I, I tend to think of that as not being a themed hotel, because it's not, but I mean, it is, but anyway. But it's Hard Rock. <laughs> yeah, but it's Hard Rock. So Hard Rock is Hard Rock. Everything else is like these really cool exotic locations from around the globe. But um, of those, Cabana Bay is the uh, economy and hotel, the economy option. And it is quickly becoming one of my favorites. I just, I love the sleek 50s themed kind of space in Florida type, I don't know, surfer culture. And like, there's no hard edges in the entire hotel and it's crazy. The other nice thing about Cabana Bay, Eric mentioned it's the quote unquote economy one. It's it's the cheapest one, but it's also, it opened up with Diagon Alley. So it's only about four years old. And even though it's the quote-unquote cheaper, like, it's it's not as fancy inside and whatnot, it's still all kind of new. So it feels like a higher quality hotel because it is so new. And they're keeping it in good shape. I've gone there multiple times over the past four years, and it, it's still holding up pretty well. They also have a Starbucks right in it, a giant pool. Bowling alley. Bowling alley, yeah. I've yet to go in the bowling alley, but I pass it all the time, and I'm like, oh, man, maybe this is the, the time we get to bowl. I did it once. You, they they serve food and drinks there, too, so it's it's fun. They need a better bar, though. Yeah, the bar is uh, leaves something to be desired. And they need a crosswalk over to Sapphire Falls. That's the one thing with Cabana Bay. They don't have a, a lot of the – most of the on-site hotels, they have a boat to take you to the parks, which is amazing. But Cabana Bay does not have that water taxi, so you have to walk across the street to Sapphire Falls, but there's no crosswalk there, so you have to kind of jaywalk Okay, to be it. fair, Cabana Bay has a bus that takes you to the theme park, but in the water, it's not on the river like the Sapphire Falls, as you're right in. I will say, too, Cabana Bay, I, I walked over there. It is World Pacific has a lot of memories. It held the first Harry Potter conferences that were in Florida, and it's where they housed people going to visit the theme park for press and all that stuff. Royal Pacific is... It has a special place in my heart, but Cabana Bay, I think today is being the economy option and times are tight and park uh, rates go up and up and up and up. I think Cabana Bay is real solid. I walked over and bought a Cabana Bay shirt when we were there last in September, and I proudly wear it sometimes. One more voicemail today. This is actually two parts because he almost gets in a car accident. Hey, guys. Uh, it's Alex from Florida. I was listening to episode 355 while on my way to work today, and I just wanted to toss out some terrible ideas for uh, Potter Universe TV shows or movies. First, what if we did, like, a Ludo Bagman show on HBO, which is just about how he's, like, gambling and betting against his own team or something like that? Uh, we could do a like a Cronenberg-style body horror movie about how the trolley lady becomes a monster. Plus, an idea in more of like an actual pitch where we just have Wes Anderson direct a movie about... Uh... And then he nearly gets in an accident or something, and then he calls with this. Hey, guys. This is Alex from Florida again. I should probably not call you when I'm driving because I almost got in an accident. But, hey, um, I have one more idea, and it's just a like a hospital drama set at St. Mungo's where Blaze Sabini is a new doctor and it's just called Blaze Anatomy. Well, let's see what we can do with one of these. I, I feel like one of these could be a hit show. I All like, right, I'll talk to you guys later. I like the Grey's Anatomy idea. I Blaze, think that's cool. Blaze Anatomy. Yeah, I like a lot of those ideas, actually. The the body horror 
with the trolley lady where it's just a movie where she's like, I just wanted to sell young boys and girls little sweets, but I'm slowly turning into a monster. I don't even recognize myself. Something like that. And she's like, like just an ordinary woman who wants to sell sweets to children. But the magic of the Hogwarts Express means that when she says yes to the job, she slowly begins transforming into this creature that needs to protect the children at all costs. I love that. And uh, I'd also watch the Wes Anderson film, uh, I guess, if it centered around the Weasleys, like the Weasley family. All right. That concludes our voicemail segment this week. We should say, please, people, do not call us to leave your voicemail while driving. The MuggleCast hotline will still be there when you parked safely on the side of the road. After you park, the number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We are not liable for any car accidents you may get into while trying to call us. Micah, we have a chicken soup type of email to wrap up the show, huh? Yeah, we do. Uh, we heard from Elsa in Mexico City. It says, hey, muggle casters, I've been listening to you guys probably since 2006 and actually went to your live show in Prophecy. I think she means in Toronto at Prophecy. I uh, have to be honest, I lost track of you guys when the episodes became more sporadic and had no idea you were back on weekly episodes. Surprise. Found you guys, yeah, surprise. Uh, found you guys about three weeks ago and I'm catching up with the newest episodes and a few older ones. It's great having you guys back in my life. I used to listen to the show on the way to school, and now you make my one-hour trip to the office more fun. This discovery came about in a hard time for me. Uh, my husband and I had to move out of our home because of a very rough earthquake that hit our city on the anniversary of another destructive quake on September 19th. So our very hipster life of using a bike to work and walking everywhere became a thing of the past, and now I have to use my car. So it's nice to have you, your show back in my life. Also, one of the greatest things of rediscovering your show is that I no longer think that I am crazy about disliking Cursed Child. Thanks, Micah and Eric. Until they see it live in two months, and then they're going to be the biggest fans. That's true. Uh, so cheers, and keep up the good work. Love from Mexico. So thank you, Elsa. And obviously, you know, sorry to hear about the earthquake happened, I think, in the fall of last year or late fall. And it was um, on the anniversary of, of another one. So hopefully you are okay and, and everything is getting back to normal there. Yeah, yeah. Also, you should have stayed in Arendelle, though. It's a frozen joke. Oh. <laughs> I, I, that's, that went over my head, dude. <laughs> Way over my head, yeah. <laughs> frozen is set in Arendelle. Anyway, that was very sweet. Thank you, real Elsa. We have Quizzitch. That's right. Yes. Hit us. We'll wrap that up real quickly. Last week's Quizich question was as follows. What famous Quidditch player died after encountering a chimera and has a wing at St. Mungo's Hospital named after him? Also, there was sort of a bonus Quizich question, which was, what's the specialty of the wing? And we heard back from a number of people on Twitter with the correct answer, which is Dangerous Die Llewellyn. And it's the ward in St. Mungo's dedicated to serious bites so congratulations to alicia perez irvin k jeremiah phillips sean brady daniel etek and jeff harvey um who all submitted the correct answer and you know what blew my mind guys irvin k pointed out he's at dark lord of dance on twitter that if you read the plaque on the side of the wall in the order of the phoenix chapter saint mungo's hospital for magical maladies and injuries it actually foreshadows the end of the book, and it's laid out on Twitter. That's why I mentioned this tweet. But if the writing as it's described in the book is described as creature-induced injuries on one line, dangerous on the next, die Llewellyn Ward, and then serious bites, each starting a new line, the first letter or the first word of each of those lines is creature, dangerous, die, serious. What? This is the chapter art? It's blowing my damn mind. No, it's not the chapter art, but it's described in the chapter St. Mungo's when they go to it in Order of the Phoenix. It's described kind of loosely as a... Now, I looked up this book immediately and I looked it up and it doesn't actually say where the words start a new line on the plaque. But if you were to separate it this way, it would legit say 
Creature Dangerous Die series. Die is D-A-I because Die Llewellyn is this famous Quidditch player. Darn you, J.K. Rowling. It is one of the coolest things that I think we've ever heard or gotten or stumbled into. Tweet her. Ask her if, if that was on purpose. I mean, I guess it has to be. And then for next week's quiz it question, we're going to do a Goblet of Fire theme, since we were talking about that earlier in the, uh, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire scene at the Weighing of the Wands? Oops, I spoiled the chapter you can get this answer from. What specifically is the core of Fleur Delacour's wand? We need specifics here, because there is a little bit more detail. There's the actual substance and then where it comes from. So not to spoil too much. Submit your answers on Twitter to us once the episode airs. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of MuggleCast. Please follow us on social media, twitter.com slash MuggleCast and facebook.com slash MuggleCast. You'll get updates about the show. We also have our Patreon, where which keeps the show running, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We're putting together a 777 challenge. We're working on unveiling a design for our new Patreon gift. We're very excited about that. And there's just so many benefits over there. So we really appreciate your support and we hope you're enjoying those benefits. And thanks to everybody who is listening live today. Next week, we will talk about potions. We were going to do it this week, but we just ran out of time. So we are going to save that for next week. We have a great discussion prepared and we'll go through the various potions and we have a bunch of questions lined up that we will answer about them. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Bye. Bye.